Um, my guess is this is probably not a passage that we often read at Christmas, um, and it's maybe a bit of an odd choice, but partially the reason for that is I think it would be safe to say this will probably be quite an unusual Christmas. This will be a Christmas that is probably unlike any other Christmas we've had before. If you're like us, you've had that conversation of who's bubbling with who this Christmas? Which, uh, which social bubble are you going to be part of on Christmas Day? Who are you going to see? Who are you not going to see? Who are those family and friends who you meet up with every year at Christmas who you're not going to see this year? There's going to be family traditions that are going to be broken. There's going to be rituals that you're not going to be able to repeat. This is going to be a very different sort of Christmas. And that's because this year is going to be a very peculiar end to a very peculiar year. And as we begin to go through a very different sort of Christmas, we're maybe going into Christmas not with the spirit of joy that we usually do. Maybe instead of being jolly and bright, we're anxious and filled with fear. Maybe we're worried about what's going to happen in the new year in 2021. And maybe as we're celebrating Christmas, we're going to have the wonderful news we heard this past week of a six-week lockdown in January, starting in, on Boxing Day, hanging over us. It's going to be a Christmas that's going to be very unlike any other Christmas we've seen before. And often what our society wants to try then to do is to lean into a very sentimental view of Christmas, which is, are you struggling this Christmas? Are you finding it hard? Are you feeling low? Are you depressed? Are you weary? Well, what you really need to do is put on a smile. You know, put on a smile and forget about it. To sit with a nice warming cup of hot chocolate by the fire and try and kindle up some sentimental Christmas spirit. Put on the TV, watch the best feel-good Christmas film that you can watch. Forget about all the troubles, forget about all the worries, just try and feel good. But the issue is with that sentimental view of Christmas that's just trying to get us to change how we feel is a lot of us have probably reached a point now where we don't have a lot of energy within us to change our feelings in that way. A lot of us are most likely just tired and a bit weary and scundered of what we're going to hear on the TV week after week as we hear bad news after bad news. And I wonder if maybe this year, whilst we often want to talk about recovering the true meaning of Christmas, is there another aspect of the Christmas holiday that we've forgotten? Um, because we're not celebrating Christmas right now if we're going to follow the, the Christian liturgical calendar of the year. This isn't Christmas at the moment. This is another point of the year. And boys and girls, you'll know this because you've opened something that celebrates this time of year this morning. Because all of you will have no doubt opened up an Advent calendar, yeah? And you've got your little bit of chocolate and you've got your little bit that's a little taste of something, a little taste of sweetness to remind you of what's going to come. And I wonder if this Christmas, one of the things that we want to emphasize is maybe not um, the sentimentality of a nice, warming, uh, rosy, tinted Christmas, but rather for us to recover what it means to be people who celebrate Advent. Advent. Because in Advent, we see two things that this passage talks about. We see two things that are able to bring us a bit of hope and to lift us out of this current circumstance. Because what Advent is all about is a revealing of our great love and of waiting with great expectancy. 
It's about a great love and it's about a great expectancy. And that's what we're going to see as we look at this passage this morning. Because as we read through this passage, we saw a wonderful, great love. And I wonder, most of you have probably heard this read at weddings. Usually if you hear this preached on, it'll be at a wedding. But I wonder if you ever noticed that there's a word that's missing from most of your wedding vows. If you're like me, you took the traditional old-fashioned wedding vows, and there's one four-letter word that never appears in your wedding vows. Do you know if you know what it is? In your wedding vows, you never said that you loved the other person. To have and to hold, to cherish, in sickness and in death. But in our wedding vows, we didn't say the word love. It's not really bizarre. Because our society loves love, and if there's an aspect of love that we want to try and draw out, surely it's at a wedding. Surely that's the point where we want to show how great love is. But what the Bible talks about as love is something that is far better and far richer. That, as one person, Sinclair Ferguson, wrote, that we, view, we have a society that views love as maximum emotion, whilst what God talks about as love is maximum commitment. Because what we see in this passage is such a great and amazing view of love, we can't help but be in awe of it. Because look down at Paul's wonderful picture of love here. It's a love that is patient. It's a love that is kind. It's a love that doesn't envy. It's a love that isn't proud. It doesn't boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It doesn't dishonor people. It isn't irritable. It isn't grumpy. It isn't angry. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It doesn't keep a record of how many times uh, you fail or you mess up. It doesn't delight in evil, but it delights in truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. It never ends. Who wouldn't want to love like this? Who wouldn't want to have this wonderful view of love in their lives? Who wouldn't want to have this sort of love sat around the table at Christmas this year? But there's an issue because as we read through this love, we begin to see that this is describing a love that doesn't quite meet up to our love, does it? Because we love our families dearly, don't we? But if you're like me, after two or three days with them at Christmas, you love them in a slightly different way than you did at the start. It's maybe not quite as rose-tinted. It's maybe not quite as patient. Maybe whenever that particular uncle wants to tell you the same story for the sixth time today, that, you know, your, patient wears, your patience wears thin. Or maybe whenever that particular member of your family gets up and they go into the kitchen, and as they're coming out, they knock everything over as they did last year, and the year before, and the year before. And you're like, why do you always do this? We see how our love peels in comparison to this love. And yet, notice how Paul says that this love always hopes. Love always hopes. It always perseveres. And it has no end or no limit. That it never fails. But our love can be impatient, can fail, can run out of hope, 
can have an end. So what Paul's driving at here is that the way in which you know love is either not love at all, or it is a love that is so distant from this sort of love that it doesn't even pale in comparison. Because the love that Paul's talking about is a love that is far beyond our grasp of being expressed. Because this is a love that is perfect in every way. This is a love that we can only find in God. And how does God show his love for us? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That's what we celebrate this time of year. We celebrate a God who loves And the way he shows his love is he sent his son, not in clouds of glory, not coming in as a triumphant king, but as a child in a manger. That on that night, 2,000 years ago, in, in Bethlehem, an obscure small town in a small country that was overruled by another nation, the hope of every person who has ever lived on the face of this earth was cradled amongst straw. We have a God who was willing to send his son into that sort of a world to show what perfect love looks like and what love can mean in all of its fullness. And our love will never, no matter how hard we try, reach that sort of love. Because our love fails and our love messes up and we all know that there, are, there were words for you as I'm sure there were and for me as you read through Paul's list of perfect love that you thought, oh, that is a way in which I am so poor at showing love. I can be so arrogant. I can be so rude. I can be so impatient. And we can be so distraught if we come away from this passage thinking that the love that, this, that is being talked about here is anything other than the perfect love of God. And God's love for you is unlike any other love in a relationship you have ever encountered. Because the sort of love that you experience in a relationship is often a give and take. You know, I love you if you love me back. I'll buy you a present if you're buying me. You have that awful moment this time of year when somebody buys you a present and you haven't got them anything back in return because you almost think, oh, they're gonna think I don't love them. But our God doesn't love like that. He doesn't love needing love back. He doesn't love needing something back. But God's love flows from an eternal life of perfection and bliss. Imagine being filled with such love and bliss that it cannot help but flow out of you. Because that's the sort of love that's talked about here. A love greater than anything else. And a love that is greater than sentimentalism because it shows itself in a very real and concrete way in that God sends his son. It's wrapped up in that that wonderful old Christmas carol, love came down at Christmas, love all lovely, love divine. And that's what we celebrate this time of year, love coming down and being flesh and then being in our midst. 
Because at Christmas and at Advent, we celebrate the fact that love has a name, and it's Jesus. So the first thing we see is that great love. But the second thing we see is that Advent looks forward with a great expectancy. You know, as you've woke up, woken up each morning, boys and girls, no doubt what you've done is you've opened the door, you've got your wee chocolate, and you've thought, I can't wait for the next morning. And I can't wait for the morning after that. And then what do you get on the 24th? I used to get the Mars bar one. I don't know if they still do this. But on the Mars bar advent calendar, you used to get a mini Mars bar uh, on Christmas Eve as almost a, oh, I can't wait. Because what do you get to do? You come down on on Christmas morning and there's not just a mini Mars bar. You know you're going to have a day filled with sweets and crisps and a massive dinner and loads of dessert and it's going to be great. And you're sitting and you're expecting because there's a great day coming, isn't there? That's what Advent calendar's about. There's a great day coming. And what what that's meant to represent is not just that there's a great day coming because Christmas day is coming. There's a great day coming for all of us because Jesus is coming. There's a great day coming for all of us because Jesus is gonna come and he's not gonna come as a little baby in a manger, but he's gonna come as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords enthroned and surrounded by all the angelic choirs declaring holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty as the whole earth is filled with his glory. That is the hope of Advent. It's not just looking forward to Christmas, it's not just getting ready, but it's realizing that we have a hope of a greater and a better day coming. One that is going to make all of our miseries and all of our suffering pass away. There's a writer, Fleming Rutledge, who wrote this. She said that for Christians, this is the season of Advent. And superficially, we often understand this as a time to get ready for Christmas as a time to get ready for Christmas. But in truth, it is the season for contemplating the judgment of God because Advent is the season when properly understood, it doesn't flinch from all the darkness that stalks us in the world, but Advent begins in darkness, but it moves us towards the light. Maybe this Christmas, you're a wee bit worried about the future and a wee bit worried about maybe your health, maybe what way your job's gonna be, maybe what way your family's gonna be or the economy's gonna be. And you're struggling to bring out that Christmas jolly cheer that you feel you need to show for the people around you. Can I encourage you? Reflect on this idea that our hope is not, necess- is not here and now but it is in the future when, as Paul writes here, that that, in verse 10, when the completeness comes, what is in part will disappear, or in some Bible verses will say, whenever the perfect comes. Our hope is not in a very Merry Christmas. Our hope is that the perfect, perfect love of God will be made known in all of its fullness when Jesus comes for the second time, not as, a man, not as a baby in a manger, but as a king upon a throne. And I wonder, are you looking for your satisfaction and your hope in something other than that? 
Are you trying to tell yourself that, you know, if we can just get through this Christmas, we'll be all right? If we can just make sure that we hold on to our job, this year we'll be okay. If I can just get the next thing, I'll be okay and I'll be satisfied and I'll be happy and I'll be content. What are you trying to use to satisfy your need for hope right now that isn't Jesus? There was an old philosopher in France called Blaise Pascal who said that there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be satisfied but by God the Creator made known through Jesus Christ. We are all longing and searching for something. And I imagine this Christmas we are all longing for better days with a, a new sense of urgency than we maybe have done in years gone past. But where does that longing find its hope? Because our hope is to say that though now we see as in a mirror dimly, on that day when the perfect comes, we shall see him face to face. Where the love of God will not just be something that we, we think is a, a doctrine or something that we believe or something that we hold on to, but the love of God will be a hand that we can hold. It will be a, a hand that will wipe away the tear from every eye as our failing broken bodies are renewed and resurrected so that every cell is without sin. And where every pain and every worry and every dread fades away as everything that is in part will fade away. For the perfect will come and we shall see him face to face. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this hope that even though things might be difficult at the minute, things might be worrying at the minute. Father, there will come a day whenever Jesus is fully known in the second advent. And Father, this Christmas, help us to look forward not just to Christmas Day, but to the other big day when Jesus will come again in glory. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.